This is Wide Margins, Episode 16, Preacher Man, and I am honored to have with me on the podcast today my good friend Tim Layton. Uh, Tim, good to have you. Thanks, Drew. Great to be here. Yeah, we've been talking about this episode for a long time, uh, and we're still not sure that we're going to approach it the right way. This is an experiment for us, but we hope that you enjoy it, and um, you know, I just really enjoy, after several episodes in a row by myself, it's good to have somebody on with me, and uh, we're going to talk about a character that has come and gone in our church several times. There are a lot of these people that come by the building. Folks wonder, you know, what's what's the life of a minister like? And they have these ideas, and there's the old joke about preachers only working on Sundays. <laughs> We've all told that, and boy, that is a funny joke. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. It's a real hoot, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a very imaginative <laughs> mind came up with that one. But, um, you know, there are obviously things that preachers do besides prepare sermons and read. Uh, we have visits to make, evangelistic responsibilities, administrative responsibilities. And then, this isn't the case with all, but in my case here at, at our church, I handle the benevolence calls, the benevolence cases. It's just easiest that way. The secretary and I, and sometimes the youth minister up here, and uh, when they come and they ask, and if we gave it over to a deacon, we'd still be involved in trying to contact trying the to deacon and line to. it up. And it just it just works out that way. And all of them are interesting, and, and you have to remember these are real people, you know, not just a hassle or a nuisance. And you never know when it could be somebody that you could reach with the gospel. And so we try to be patient, and of course there are people who abuse the system, but if you take the time to, to try to get to know them and listen to their stories, you'll find some very interesting people. And some of them will come when you don't have time, and that that doesn't matter. They're going to, they're going to get some help one way or another, and this is... That's probably the way that this person entered into the picture in our experience here. His name, Michael James Robertson. And uh, we know him affectionately as the man who called me Preacher Man, hence the title of the podcast this week. Uh, now, Tim, you were, you're here because you remember the first day right. that we met Michael. Right. And so this... Uh, Drew and I have you know, we've talked about this many times, and we've we've shared sort of this this initial story, you know, sitting around. Certainly, uh, we shared it with our wives immediately after it happened because it had such an impact on us. Um, but yeah. we've shared it with a lot of people over time. Um, it, the best I can remember, you had just moved to Asheville Road, right? It was right. Not long. I was. It was the weekend of July the fourth. Because we we had started here in April of that year, but had not moved yet. We were living close enough to drive back and forth, and y'all were helping us out. And we we had plans that evening to do a little moving. That's right. why I remember right. the date so well. And I think I think you know our two families were going out. We were going to go out to dinner, and yeah, um, you know, some of this began. I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to get things wildly out of order here, but um, we were getting ready to leave church, and Julie came over uh, to my car. We were getting ready to pull out and go to the whatever yeah. restaurant we had, you know, said we were going to go to, and uh, and you know, said, you know, Drew's dealing with this benevolence case. However, we said that, and and that. Um, you know what I what I ride with you, but but I'm gonna I'm I'm getting ahead because I it's know a little there, had, there had to be some stuff that happened before that. Well, so let's back the, up. The, my first memory is it was a Sunday night service, and I was preaching, and I'm not accustomed to people getting excited when I preach on a Sunday night, but there was somebody in the back of the auditorium hollering. I do Amen. remember that. You know, I just do. shouting yes. at everything I said. And I at first I was feeling pretty good, you know, and then I was like, this this is a little little too exuberant. Yeah. You know, a little too much here. And I couldn't quite see where it was coming from or who it was, but it was loud enough and disruptive enough that 
I knew that we were going to have a little adventure after services. And sure enough, there he was standing, and, and I walked out into the foyer, and this man was talking to somebody else. And he wasn't very tall. Um, you know, I don't know, about five, five, six, five, seven. But he was ripped. I mean, I've never seen a finer specimen of humanity than this guy. Absolutely. Ripped and tattoos up the neck. Right. My, mem- my, my memory is just one big muscle. Yes. You know, he was yeah. just, he, he was just, uh, wow. He and the tattoos impressive. were not of the variety that you see in the suburbs. <laughs> right. These were prison tats. Prison tats. Yeah. Yep. And he was very open and right there at the door was telling me, you know, he talked 90 miles an hour and telling me he just got out of prison. He doesn't have anything. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I, maybe I can help you tomorrow. Typically, I don't help on on Sundays because there's got to be some kind of order to this system we have here. And, you know, I'm very busy on Sundays, and I try to discourage that. And if they'll come back, I can spend more time with them and help them in a better way. And we had these plans, and we're trying to get moved. And I was trying to reason with him, and he just wouldn't accept it. He's like, now, you're a man of the Lord, and you're not going to neglect somebody in need being a man of the Lord. And then he quoted... Not from Matthew or from the Psalms, but deep into Jeremiah. Okay. You know, he was quoting things in support of my helping him. And he he knew the Bible really well, but the parts of the Bible that he knew scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> this is when I was starting to sweat. Right. So I, I, I did want to sort of date this in terms of, you know, so this was July of 2000, right? Yes. So you had been here about three months at Asheville. Oh, Road, yeah. Right? Uh, y'all, not y'all not just experienced down, in this at right? all. Just moving from Cardiff down. And so this is this is not, you know, 2018 season Drew who's seen you, a lot of this. Um, Twenty. I was 25. Yeah. And um, by nature, a little timid anyway. And this guy was not, he was very comfortable in his own skin. Right. And very loud. And I, I do think in terms of what you were just saying, it's worth noting that he was here without transportation, right? Yeah, he had... He had Somebody had dropped him off Worked here. his way here. And so... Which adds to the pressure. Right, exactly. I had to ask somebody how to get... He wanted groceries, you know, and he wasn't asking for a lot, just help... Can't, won't a man of God help somebody hungry with some groceries, right. which was... And I said, of course, you know, and, and then I had to ask somebody how to do that because I was so new here. And we have an arrangement with the local grocery store. We don't have a pantry. I think it's better to, to have this arrangement with the local grocery store so people Absolutely. can get what they need. Yeah. And that suited him just fine. You know, he liked that. And so uh, I called them, called the grocery store, and then he needed a ride. He started on me about a ride. And I had to. I went to tell Julie, my wife. I said, "I'm going to go take this man. He's with me the whole time. You know, he hears every word, which right. will come up come up in oh, a minute. Yeah, absolutely. He he's very perceptive. And I said, "I'm going to take Michael here. We're going to go down to the grocery store and get him some groceries. And I'll meet you and Tim and his wife. I'll I'll meet y'all at the restaurant afterwards." She said, "You're doing what?" And I said, "I'll see you at the restaurant." And then I started off, and that's when Julie came you over. Up, and, yeah. right, Julie came over and and said, "Listen, you know, would you mind, um, you know, Millie and I will, you know, can go in one car. Do you mind riding with with Drew?" And she was obviously concerned, um, yeah, you know, about that's, about that's the putting situation. it mildly. And so, um, and so I said, "Sure." And so I get out and and come over and and listen. I'm I'm not the most aggressive dude either. <laughs> We both know nobody that. is around and Michael, so, uh, right? Um, because he was an impressive guy, and so I walked <laughs> up, and I don't know if this was the first time, but when I walked up, um, Michael said, "Hey, preacher man, you get you some backup." Yeah, exactly. Because you had this little story, you're like, "Hey, Drew, Millie said 
that Julie could ride with her over the restaurant, and I needed to ride with you. And you were trying to, you had like oh, it all so worked out. I was trying to be saw, smooth, and he. Oh, man, right through it. <laughs> this guy could read folks. And so, you know, he knew that um, that we were a little nervous. And um, and so when he said that, I was like, oh, no, man. We're, you know, we're just going to, you know, just going to ride to the restaurant together or whatever. Well, he, he was not buying what I was selling. No. Uh, All right. So so from there, we get in the car and we head to the local Piggly Wiggly, right? Yes. And um, and so, you know, really the sort of the adventure begins. And I, and I think probably between the two of us, there's a lot of things that stand out about maybe the next 45 minutes of our life. Right. Um, I thought of this last, when we were talking last night. There, there are. I think this is the technical term for it. I should have looked it up, but this is the way I do this podcast. You know, sometimes I fail to do the homework, but <laughs> I think they're called flashbulb moments. Right? Have you heard that phrase before? That that makes sense to me. A flashbulb moment, at least the way I'm defining it, is when something traumatic or big happens in your life, and your memory just goes into overdrive. You can remember every detail and we discovered for you and me this was a flashbulb moment right an, an example of flashbulb moment would be 9-11 you know every person who was an adult during 9-11 knows where they were can tell you details that you don't typically remember i can like you i can remember very specific details about this trip from the church building what two miles down to the grocery store right there was a lot happening in the car ride there was a lot that happened <laughs> um I'll, I'll share the first one and i actually brought a visual aid because um right you know i wish we could show this to the audience but yeah this is a um this is the watch that i purchased uh on a trip that drew and i took to russia right and, yeah um, and so drew had a watch not really you know the face was similar to this but yeah the, it the had band a leather band right yeah and um and so they you know they had really cool watches and um and so we got that as drew that got that as a souvenir from a trip that he had been on i believe it was or like maybe, a yeah right. it was like an a knockoff aviator right. watch right it wasn't so these the things, real thing yeah these things cost like 10 bucks or whatever yeah they were very okay cheap. but the point of it is that you know it it, it really has an interesting looking face and and it looks like it could cost more than 10 bucks Mm -hmm. so one of the first things that happened was we started out from where we're recording this podcast here at Asheville the building here at Asheville Road and and we started toward the Piggly Wiggly and uh, we got down to you know before we got to the railroad tracks in Leeds um uh, Drew's driving with his hands at 10, ten and 2. two. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so that watch is showing, and he's like, hey, preacher man, that's a nice watch you got there. Well, of course, immediately, Drew and I both think, this is what he's going to kill us over, yeah, right? right? You know, this, you know, this is, yeah. and, and so Drew immediately went into this, um, it was sort of like my version of the, oh, I'm just here so we can go to the restaurant right. together. Yeah. And Drew was like, oh, I got this for nothing. It, you know, they have these knockoff uh, watches in, in Russia and really trying to make sure he understood this watch is worth nothing. Of no value, not not yeah. worth my life. Exactly. So if he needed <laughs> it, he could have it, <laughs> yes. right? Um, and, so. then, and at one point, or maybe several points, he would say, because he knew how scared we both were, I wouldn't, he'd say, I wouldn't hurt a man of God. You're a man of God. And if you hurt a man of God, I remember he would say, then I'm going to have to answer the Lord for it, and I don't want that on my on my account, you know. And he would try to reassure us, but the veins in his neck and the throbbing sinews in his arms were saying otherwise, right. you know. There was and, just this intensity, and the, right? And the volume of his yes. voice, shout. Would you say shouting is the best way yes. to describe it? You know, everything that came out of it. I mean, he was just so amped up. Yeah. Um that that's the part that that scared us as much as anything else was the fact that he was just screaming and you mentioned, you know, even before I came into this picture that he was quoting scripture to you and and I'm I'm going to again get this out of order but I believe it was after we left the Piggly Wiggly and started toward his home he started quoting 
scripture to us again. Yes. And it, it was just, that was the part that I remember. That's the flashbulb moment of that, where he was just screaming. Um, and from I, the prophets. From the prophets. No Sermon on the Mount. And it, it was and it, it was scary stuff. Right. And he wasn't stuttering. He, he knew his <laughs> scriptures, you know. And But, you know, it's like we were just sort of mesmerized by what was going on here. Oh. Okay. All right. But I don't, you know, we, we're getting things out of order because we got to get to the Piggly Wiggly first, right? So Yeah. Yeah. And, and I only remember one other detail about that. And it was coming out. Is there anything else up to Piggly Wiggly? Yeah, they're, they're, the fact so that... So go ahead. We talked about this last night for a second. I remember, and, <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of this that it's like, do I really remember this, or has it changed over the last 18 years? Um, but that's where we've got a chance to bounce some of these things off of each other. But, you know, the best of my recollection, I started this journey in the back seat of the car and Michael was in the front of the driver's side with you mm-hmm. um, and when we got to the Piggly Wiggly for some reason I decided to get in the front seat and I can't exactly remember what that was and maybe it was just so that we could get together and talk because we he had, was in there for a little while right we he, did not go in with him we did not go in with him so we were sitting outside and uh, so that takes us to the Piggly Wiggly. Well, so take wait a second. I, you just remind me. Remember, because we were moving, there was some stuff in the back seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, while you were back there, you told me later that you were trying to, like, MacGyver I sort of a way to save my life. Right. It was both. like, you know, is there a hose here if I have to try to, you know, choke him to death while while Drew rolls out of the driver's <laughs> side of the car? Or, you know, uh, <laughs> Have you seen the Andy Griffith show where Barney says, about Ernest T. Bass, he says, "Just give me, just give me a few minutes out back." And Andy just kept saying, "He'll kill you." <laughs> right, exactly. That's what somebody should have told you the first minute you started thinking about wrapping a oh, vacuum yeah. hose around. Exactly, He'll right. Kill you. You know, he would have grabbed it, flipped me through the front windshield, and then it would have been <laughs> over at that point. But yeah. um, you know, we, I do remember sitting in the Piggly Wiggly parking lot for an extended period of time. I mean, not overly extended. He just went in to get groceries, right? So he went in to get what he needed. And I remember us sitting there having a serious discussion about whether or not to leave. Yeah. Because we were legitimately concerned about this guy. This this is, you know, once the story was over, this part of it, you know, was was... You know, it was amusing because of the way that we were reacting to the situation. But mm-hmm. this guy was a scary guy. Yes. And oh, by the way, he had just gotten out of prison. Right. And so, and, you know, and we, listen, we were I learned later, I, I was going to say this, but he, I, I've seen Michael on drugs and I've seen him clean. Looking back, he was on something that night because. When he when he got clean, he did not shout as much. Mm-hmm. He talked slower, and the mania of that evening would settle down, and he would be actually quite pleasant to be around. Yeah. Um, and he and I talked with him about this uh, when when he was finally clean, um, finally clean. One of his times when he was clean, I pointed out that he was different. He said, and he pointed out these things that he talks. He knows that he slows down, so he was he was on coke or something, even that night. Yeah, having just been out of prison, just got out of prison, got some access to something. And, yeah, it, there there's no question in my mind. Right, and I want people when we say uh, we were thinking about running, is because this man was terrifying. Right, in and, that instance. Yeah, and and realize that. You know, when we when we relay this story, there's a lot of it that you know you may hear in our voices that you know it it, it it's funny because of how we were behaving or whatever you know or how mm-hmm. we were reacting to the situation. It was scary in some ways. It was sad in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. there's you know part of the reason we thought this would be a good story to share with others is because it just has all kinds of things going on. Definitely, yeah. And um, I can remember us having the conversation in the Piggly Wiggly parking lot where we said, he got to the church building some way. <laughs> he could get home some way, right? Yeah. You know, he, he, we got you know, him there, there's groceries. Some, there's somebody there that, 
somebody brought him here that that he could get in touch with somehow to come get him at the Piggly Wiggly yeah. and take him home. And so because of our sort of fear of the situation and our desire to, you know, still be able to provide for our families, you know, right. and, um, we had that thought, but we, we passed on that thought. Yeah. And, um, and I'm glad we did. Do you remember how he came out of the grocery store? I do. Take that one. He had a dozen bags of groceries packed full and the biggest watermelon I've ever seen in an arm curl, which right. just made those biceps look even bigger. And he wasn't having any trouble right. carrying those things. I mean, I think he made very good use of the money that you know that he had to, to buy yeah. groceries. I mean, there were no, um, you know, there were no marshmallows in the bags or anything. <laughs> no, there, was, there was meat. And there was a watermelon. <laughs> milk and jug. Milk jug. And, you know, and I was amazed that it looked like he had a cart full of groceries that he was carrying out Didn't need in his cart. arms with no problem whatsoever. No problem at all. You know. And so he did get in the back seat at that point. And we started driving to, I think it was his grandmother's house. I mean, he didn't have a house. Right. Over here in Leeds, somewhere off near... Zamora Temple. Mm. We need right? to talk about that. What is the Zamora Temple? You know, I'm not really sure. I, I've I've always thought it was sort of like Shriners or something like that. That's but, what he was. That that's the connection he was making, right? But uh, apparently, he and the old folks at the Zamora Temple had had some issues. Now, people who aren't from our area. I guess we need to give a little description of the Zamora Temple. We've never been there. I don't know if we'd be allowed to go in if we wanted to. Uh, uh, I actually went in there for an event one time. Oh, really? And inside, it just looked sort of like a recreation center or something, you know. It was not like a, a temple on the inside. But, but on, the on the outside, it looks very much like Dome one. of the Rock right. is the best. I mean, it has a gold dome. Right. And it's in, the, it's in a beautiful area off 459 where there's a lot of hills and stuff and then there's this this out of place strange looking temple there that you can see off the interstate and i think it's shriners somebody who knows better is gonna nail us on this one yeah. but the point is that michael having some acquaintance with the bible uh he was very against these people right and and, and it seemed like that as, you know we is, if I remember it correctly, we left the Piggly Wiggly. As we were leaving Leeds, he was shouting scripture to oh, us. even more. But it seemed like somewhere along the way, because this is what, maybe seven or eight miles we're talking about yeah. here, for, you know, from you know from Leeds back And we out had to, no idea where we were going. Right, just, exactly. Just keep going up this way, right. preacher man. And we can describe that journey more in a minute, right? But, you know, so we got here close to the Zamora Temple, and it was like it just set him on fire again. Yeah. Um, because, and and it seemed like maybe he had, and maybe some of it had to do with it was not far away from where he lived. So maybe right. he knew some people that, that were involved in this group or something, but it... Some I mean, connections just, to Satan... Right. I don't remember any specifics. I, I don't either, but I, other than just that it, it just flipped a switch, and we were scared again. Yeah, he was yeah. angry, super angry. And um, I don't remember much until we get up to the house. You know, the one yeah. thing that I wanted to mention as we, we were, were getting there, it, and this is the part that I'm sure is a, um, a creation of my mind, but it seemed that as we got closer and closer to his house, because it was in the woods. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're here in town, but you know, not everywhere is concrete. Mm -hmm. And um and where we went, it just seemed like it sort of got deeper in the woods and yes. darker <laughs> along the way <laughs> as we went there. And, you know, maybe a lot of that was because I kept thinking this is where it's going to end. Mm -hmm. Because it, it got isolated enough where something could happen and they wouldn't find the bodies right. for a while. Right. Um, and it was getting towards nightfall. It was a long July day, but um, we'd been at this a while now. Yeah. We were meeting at 6 o'clock back in those days. 
So we had started no sooner than 7.30. It was getting closer to dark. Yeah, you know, right. So easily probably 8.30 now, you know, by the time we we got to his house. Him shouting all the way. This is his grandmother's house, I think. Way, way out there in the woods. And we pull up. It's very important that you hear what time of the year this is. July the 4th weekend. And what do we see? You remember this, I know. Absolutely. Hanging from a tree when we pull into his yard. A skinned deer. (laughs) (laughs) That has not been fully processed yet. Skinned deer. Right. Hanging from the hind legs off a tree branch. You know, and obviously at that point, the thought, has to go through our minds which tree is ours right Right. (laughs) you know um i mean you know at this point there's just you have to understand there's just enough evidence (laughs) for us to be really worried about oh man you'd start relaxing and then something else would happen um that deer should not be hanging there it's not deer season it's hot once you get started on a project like that, you keep going till you finish. And uh, but man, once we got to the house, he was done talking. It was a, a race to the door. He gathered that right. stuff up in his arms and bolted. I and remember then, us asking you, know, "Do you need any help or whatever?" And it was like door open, boom, and he was gone. You know, and and he was headed toward the house. Right. And you know, of course. We couldn't get back down that driveway fast enough oh, and, man. and back out to where we could see the light of day. At least that's what it felt like to me. And um, But there's with, with folks like this, um, when you have an interaction like this, you just can't, you can't help but, but wonder, am I going to see him again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? And most of the time it's not a problem because you just say, no, I'm sorry, that's all we can do for you. And they go, but this guy doesn't hear the word no. Right. So and, there was that you know, hanging over me yeah. for like a week or so sure. afterwards. And I know that that would probably be even more of a thought of yours now because you've got so much history of of dealing with benevolence that, that you know yeah. how people reappear, you know, yeah. even even more than you knew back then. But certainly... I can understand, you know, your thought because I just remember how much relief it was that we were sort of out of this situation. Yeah. Uh, because it was, it was our, very We were tense. worried about our wives. No cell phones. Right. You know, it's hard for people that haven't grown up and we're that old, but haven't grown up in an age, it wasn't that long ago that people didn't have cell phones That's and right. knew where each other is all the time. And our wives were very worried, and we got back to the restaurant, had a good meal, got moved in, didn't hear from him again for months and months and months. Uh, and the reason is he went right back into jail. Uh, we found out later, maybe just a week or so later, he was right back in jail. Right. Um, and it was the next summer, about a year later, and I remember that because See, I couldn't it was vacation remember, Bible yeah, school. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was just the next year or whatever. It but was you just did. one year later. Okay. And um, I was, you know, we were busy getting vacation Bible school started. And, you know, I, I got caught in my office. I, I was back in my office, and I just hear this preacher man. I mean, my back was turned to the door, and I hear it, and a chill went up my spine. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've ever seen Cape Fear, either the one with Robert Mitchum or the one with Robert De Niro, same same thing. I mean, that, that guy walking around saying, counselor, that's the, the spirit of the mood that I was in on that occasion. Yeah, because I can remember Millie coming up to me and saying, you know, Michael's here. And, <laughs> and you're uh, like, you know, and... Um, you know, and so there was probably some, really in in reality there's probably some re- reference to preacher man. You know, the preacher yeah, man guy is here, and it's like what? Yeah. And then the fact that you were gone for a while, you know, because you know I had to start VBS, and so we weren't together for quite some time, and so mm-hmm. you sort of disappeared for the night. Um, you know, at that point, as I remember it, anyway. Yeah, I can't remember what I did. I remember it was a little different. 
I, I knew that we had not died before. I told myself, I'm probably going to live through this one, too. Well, and you got the home field advantage. Y'all weren't going anywhere at this point, right? I mean, y'all, yeah. were, you know, y'all were here. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't go. Oh, what but, are you talking about? But like this interaction with Michael, I mean, you guys didn't go anywhere, right? He, no, he came it, to, he came somehow to I was to able to church, help him. Right? Yeah, I don't know if he just wanted to talk or he probably needed some food. or And I might have been able to get him to come back the next day. I can't. I can't remember. Yeah. I just. I remember it was a little different, and I remember, I he had gotten a job with a construction company, and so he he wasn't a freeloader. He wanted to work. Sure. And he got this job, and um, it was it was work. It was good for him because he was big and strong, and I remember seeing him a couple of days later. We did help him somehow. We got him some food, or I, I don't remember how, and I went out to. I couldn't have been doing a more dainty thing. I went to Michael's because I was playing the Apostle Paul of VBS a couple days later, and I bought some artificial plants to because it was Paul shipwrecked, and I wanted to put seaweed on me. <laughs> and I was coming out of Michael's with these artificial plants to to be a thespian at VBS, and I hear preacher man from across the parking lot. This was down off 280 far away from Leeds wow. but it was near the construction site where he was working and he was wearing like a one of those 1980s midriff cutoff football shirts that was net and just ripped I mean again <laughs> this is know, a common theme <laughs> that looked didn't like change Hercules you know and but he was very friendly and he wasn't he it was just a chance encounter it was starting to feel natural and I was starting to feel more comfortable around him, and I and I think he was off the drugs at this point. I think that's why it was a little easier, a little less unsettling to be around him, right? Because he wasn't quite as crazy. Um, and then it happened again. You know, he went back into jail again, and it was off and on like that. I can't remember too well, but there was just this um, kind of a decline in his. As he got more and more freedom, he seemed to live less and less. It just he became a shell of himself. Wow. And um, I'm trying to think of things to share with you that you know. I don't know how much you knew from that point forward. You know, there there are a few things that I remember, and and I don't want to steal from sort of how you're no, thinking about the rest. It's of wide this. open, you know. But I, I do remember. I remember you staying in touch with him. In terms of the the interaction when he was in prison, mm-hmm. and that you would you know you'd you'd send him something every now and then, and and I do remember you know us talking about the fact that you know he he told you that you know, basically it's almost like you were the only family that he had. Um, he would say stuff like that, yeah. You know, and, and I don't think he was. People I, were I, dying off while he was in prison. Um, he had a stepfather that never had anything to do with him anyway that died and his grandmother that the grandmother that whose house he was at when we took him home she passed away while he was in prison so he would write and talk about those things and claim but you never know if you're being used or not you know but i would just treat it as long as i could safely i would just treat it as if he were being honest with me right and i'd write back to him we'd send him packages of food or um they call it hygiene packages uh, because you can just barely you can't get hardly anything in prison they issue you just a few things and we send things like flip-flops and bars of soap and shampoo just simple things like that right and uh he'd get out for a while and he'd go right back in right and then he got to where he cleared himself all the warrants and everything, and he was free and clear. And strangely enough, that's really when his life went way downhill. It's almost like he was better inside than... He had to get a job and work for somebody, and he had to get transportation. And you remember the first vehicle he bought. Right. Something, Everybody something remembers this because he drove. He came to a church service one time in this... It was a sweet white van, I believe yeah, he, he referred he to it He called it himself, the sweet right? van. I got a sweet van out there. He paid like five hundred dollars for it. 
uh, on credit. You know, he never paid, really paid for anything. Uh, another time, he bought a motorcycle from a guy, and he told me about it, and I thought, that guy will never, ever see the money for that motorcycle. Um, another t- and, and he got in with a, with a girlfriend from back in the day. You know, he, he moved in with her, and she was bad news. She had all kinds of problems. But there's another humorous event that happened one time when um, he asked for some some money to buy groceries. Now, we don't give out money as a rule, and Michael's one of the reasons we don't. But there was one of our members here is very generous, and he felt that there are times where we needed cash. So... I made the mistake of giving Michael some cash to go get groceries and some other items that he couldn't get at a local store. I didn't ask why. I was when you get busy, you make mistakes, and I was really busy. And I gave him, I don't know, like a hundred dollars cash mm-hmm. to go get things because he was just getting set up after his final days in prison. And he went to the store and he came back with all his stuff. I, he wanted to show me what he had bought. And one of the things that he had bought was a bunch of mice to feed to his python. Oh, my. (laughs) And here I, you know, I'm thinking, you've got a python and you're asking me for money and you took this money that somebody gave that I was in control of and you bought mice? And he got the the mice out and he had to show them to me because that's how he was. He showed them to me and they they had died. They'd suffocated in the car because it was so hot in there. And I remember him saying, he's yelling at his girlfriend because it was her fault somehow that this mouse had died. And then he started, he put the little mouse's <laughs> face up to his lips and started blowing into the mouse mouth and nose as as if giving mouth to mouth resuscitation, which obviously wow. did not work, but it painted a really interesting picture. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes when people are doing stuff like that, I just, I just stop and watch. Yeah. It's just something to right. you got to soak that and, you in. You know, it's 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 things like that and him coming back to show you what what if he had thought about, he would have known the money was not for that purpose. Mm-hmm. That makes me think that he's a pretty authentic guy. Oh, you, yeah, you know, one in a million. Yeah. That um you know what what we were talking about there with like, you know, things that he would say to you. I mean, I think that you know he he was troubled and there's a lot of tragedy in his, in his life but i think he was pretty straight up in terms of you know he you know he was what he said he was he didn't i don't feel like well he would lie to me sometimes about what he had been getting into and then Probably he'd get in prison him, and he'd confess it in a letter send you a letter it was a, more out of embarrassment, I'm, you yeah. know, that yeah. something had happened. Right. But I felt like he was always trying to be real around me. And, I, you know, I've struggled with... That example is a good one where I gave him some cash and I later realized I shouldn't have. It's a real struggle to try to help folks. And I know everybody listening to this has been driving down the road and you come to an intersection, there's somebody out there with a sign... And you feel, you roll down your window and you give them some money, you feel bad about that. You don't give them money and you feel bad about that. And you just don't know what to do. Or somebody stops you on the street and you feel like they're going to spend it on booze or they're making more money than they should and you just don't know what to do. I remember another occasion where we, it was after um, the tornado outbreak. What year was that? 11, I believe. 2011 is what I wanted to say, yeah. And it hit around here really hard, and we were trying to find ways to help and work around, you know, the bigger organizations that had some places locked down and things. And we found this trailer park where they needed food, they had no power, and people were just kind of locked into their mobile homes, and they weren't able to get out, they couldn't get their cars out, they couldn't get food. And so we were taking box lunches in cooperating with some other groups, and there were several lunches we were able to bring out there and feed that little neighborhood and it was great service but I remember one person was really frustrated because after that happened nobody came to church to visit us there were no conversions and he he mentioned a couple things and one of the things he mentioned was Matthew 5 16 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And they just saw that kind of as an equation. Number one, you let your works shine. Number two, people obey the gospel and become Christians who in turn do good works and impress other people who give glory to God. I don't think that's exactly what the Lord meant right. when he was talking about letting your light shine. Having He didn't mean it as a guarantee, but this person was very frustrated. And he also was thinking of missionary works. We'll have these missionaries come in and give reports. And they had a medical mission campaign, and that resulted in this many conversions. Or they gave out this humanitarian aid, and then they had this many baptisms. And he wanted that to translate into real things here. Um, and we would love it if that happened, right? That's just not the way because, the world works. I mean, we just put all our money into uh, in, into that. You know, if 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 it produced results, yeah, know, in that way, because you know, we, we would just if we could just cash it in that way, that that'd be beautiful, you know. Yeah. And, and and there's you know a couple of things that come to mind to me about that. One is that. You know, there's a time factor there, right? You know that. Mm-hmm. You know maybe it will work that way, but maybe there's a 50-year time frame in there or something, you right. know, and that sticks with, you know, some little kid that was in the trailer park that was eight years old then that somewhere yeah. time later in their life, maybe they remember, you know, who did good for them that day um, mm-hmm. when they're when they've decided that they need to turn their life around or something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's that. And, you know, one other thing that comes to mind to me is that, um, you know, that that verse says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is that. When you mentioned it as an equation, perhaps even there's the opportunity that somebody other than the person you're doing the good work for may see it and it yeah. may produce a good result for them. Yes. The community in general, you know, just right. knowing a particular congregation as being a giving congregation. Um, you know, maybe yeah. part of the group that we were in, maybe somebody was sort of wavering in their faith, and it strengthened them yeah. to go out and do something in, in God's name. for, for a, mm-hmm. You know, there's just so many ways that that can work. Well, and when you turn good works into... A way to manipulate people, yeah, or manipulate God. It become your good works become Pharisaical, right? You become self righteous, judgmental, you know, bitter and resentful, and that's not the heart of service in the New Testament. Right. I found a verse that um, the Lord, where the Lord speaks to this, and it clarified things to me so well. Luke chapter six, verse thirty-five. Love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, sons of the Most High here is, you will, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You will look like your father. And how does he look? He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a concession there that people are not going to be grateful for what you do, they're going to actually be evil, and you'll get nothing in return many times when you lend. Jesus says, so what? This isn't about an equation. This isn't about you know quid pro quo. This is about looking like Jesus, or looking like the Father. And Jesus looked like the Father, so it's like right. looking like Jesus. And part of it's doing good, and part of it is keeping the right kind of attitude while we're doing this. And I know that has to be a challenge. Yeah. When you have this benevolence responsibility that that sort of is 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 sort of overarching around this whole story that we're telling today because I know that you know there has to be a temptation to become jaded about what you see. Yeah. and who you see and the recurrence of people and all that. I know it's got to be difficult to 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 keep the right kind of positive attitude and I I think that's great that you know that that verse really captures it well it's like you some you know you, you don't have to be making the value judgments and and i think that applies to all of us to those people that that we come in contact with individually every day that we can help in some way mm-hmm. you know we don't have to be trying to decide is that person that has the cardboard sign are they legit or not right just help them in the name of the lord and move along 
Yeah, and if you if you don't feel that that's you know the right thing to do at that moment, that's fine. There are plenty of other opportunities. Right. Just make sure that you don't lose your love for humanity and uh, don't lose, don't grow bitter and resentful. That's right. Um, you know, Michael had he he did not have the upbringing you and I had or anybody. He had a he revealed more and more about his life growing up and things, just crazy things that happened. He had a brother. He and his brother were trying to run across some railroad tracks one night, and his brother tripped and fell, and the and the train rolled over his brother's legs and just severed them oh, wow. from the body. Oh, wow. And Michael drug him to get help, and that's the kind of upbringing he had. And as soon as he became old enough to throw in jail, society threw him into jail. Not saying unjustly. I mean, right. he he did a lot of bad stuff. Um, he showed me one time he had a. Uh, I don't know how many details of this story I should give. I'll just I'll just throw it out there. He was put in a cell with a homosexual man. And this man was being persecuted quite a bit in prison, as you would expect. And um, Michael comes in, and they'd been messing with this guy, uh, beating him up. And Michael came in to try to help. And this is Michael's side of the story. He looks like a hero in it, whatever. And the man that was about to kill his cellmate turned on Michael, and it turns out he had, what do they call it, a shiv, this handmade, right. homemade knife. Mm-hmm. And he starts stabbing Michael oh, in, the, in the abdomen several times, and Michael had emergency surgery and almost died from it. And when he got out, I was complaining about my back hurting or something, and he said, you know, preacher man, you have control over your own body. You take control over your own body. And, you know, we've mentioned how fit he was. And he, he said, let me show you something. And he pulled his shirt up. I said, that's okay. And he's, <laughs> he told me that story, and then he pulled his shirt up. And he had about eight hernias just poking out all over his abdomen where they had, in a very rough way, repaired the damage that was done to him. And he told me about how he just started doing just one squat, you know, a day before he went to bed. And then he turned that into five, and then he turned that into ten, and then he added one push-up, and he turned that into five and ten, and then sit-ups next until he was doing like 300 of each and got back into shape again. And he just had that resilience, but he also had a very, he had a broken heart all the time. This guy would just cry like a baby sometimes. And he would come into my office and just talk, and he said one time he was sitting there next to me, in my office and we were talking about things and he said he said I'd beat a rascal's brains in for you Drew and I said I'm sorry what what did you say he said I'd beat a rascal's brains in for you Drew I said I don't know that I need you to do that because now I'm not worried about myself anymore I'm worried about him misunderstanding a <laughs> right. problem, you know. I'll take care of that. You, you think about so many movies where this kind of thing happens. And I, I said, listen, it, it, we're not right, going to have that. It always be some kind of movie where, where there's this little uh, little issue that you have with somebody, and then all of a sudden the person disappears, right? And, right. Uh, but when he said that, yeah, very humorous statement, you know, he had tears in his eyes when he said it. Um. So that's the way I'd like to... I do think that's, you know, that's, in his own way, that's just indicative of, you know, the the fact that, hey, there's, there, I think you gave him some level of, some area of his life that was stable, which there was nowhere else that he had that in his life. I think you were, you know, that just through like, the meetings when he got out of jail and helping him um, and the talks and then the the letters, you know, that, that communication back and forth. Yeah. I, I think you provided a constant that he couldn't find anywhere else in his life and, you know, likely never had before because of sort of who he was and who he became and where he had come from. Yeah, he was he was used by a lot of people and and I don't want to pretend that I had a big role in his life or anything like that, but 
I didn't, you know, I, I saw him as an interesting person who had some kind of genuine affection for me. He was still manipulative. I'm not, I know that. I'm aware of that. But, um, you know, he I, I he do got, like to believe that there were some real things, even though he was a flawed man. Um, and yeah. I think there were, there's, you know. That's what of, I would like to think, too. Yeah. And I, I choose to remember remember him that way. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's a flood of other memories and stuff coming up. This is probably a 12-year relationship, but sadly it ended. Um, he was really spiraling out of control, and um, his girlfriend came up here just beside herself one day, and she told me that Michael got back on drugs, and he broke into a crack house in North Birmingham, I don't know if he was trying to steal or get some drugs or get some revenge. He could be a very dangerous person. And uh, somebody shot him in the chest with a shotgun, and that was it. He was gone. And uh, that was not... That was a Michael, but it wasn't the Michael that we fondly remember. Right. Um, so sadly, I don't get those letters anymore, but happily, I kept some of them... I thought there's no more fitting way to end this episode than just to... I'm just going to end with reading this so you can get kind of a spirit of the way that he talked and the language that he used. Um, It's kind of long, but I think there's a section in here I need to read. Well, Preacher Man, i got only 11 months left until I'm a free man. And you can bet on one thing. I will be by there to see you and to attend the church services at your church. And yes, I would like for you to send me some of that reading material that you told me about. And I want you to know that I prayed for you and your family when I heard about your loss. I don't know what he's talking about there, but something. I will tell you one thing, Drew. You are my pastor forever, not because of the material things you have sent me, but because you was and are there for me. I will put my life on the line for you, my brother. The Lord said a man could not have a greater friend than that. But anyway, I will be looking forward to when our spirits meet again. I have sure learned... I like this part. I've sure learned an excellent skill in the last two and a half years. I can make one of the prettiest handcrafted clay tobacco pipes that you ever laid eyes on. I inlay them with silver or gold. I can swirl the clays in different colors and have feathers and turquoise stones hanging from the bottom at the pipe. Now I could go on and on about different avenues to go down with my art. It is a skill, and I will I will be the first to say this, Drew. I can make a pipe that will sail on the street for $125, and I know I can put out six a day. That's $750 a day. Now what I'm going to do first is sit down for about two months and mass produce them until I get enough to put on display. I'm real excited about opening my own pipe shop. Okay, by the way, my pipes are Indian style, but my own created style. I'm telling you, I'm a bad man when it comes to this style of art. (laughs) So you can see I have not just did time. I learned to trade and skill while here. I really want to go on talking, but I got to ask about this hygiene box, preacher man. I I need no more packages at all because I'm free at the end of the year. But unfortunately, I need this hygiene box. I've not had a hygiene box since I've been here. So please ask the elders and deacons of the church and see if y'all will be able to send one. Then he ends, God bless you, Drew. Lord, right now, pour your blessings on Drew's head. Amen. Your brother, Michael James. So that's the story of Michael James Robertson. Thanks for listening and helping us remember him. And uh, we'll pick up on some... New topic sometime in the future on Wide Margins.